PCA Conversations with Black Voices. This is Between the Pew. Between the Pew is brought to you by African American Ministries. AAM exists to provide ways to support, mentor, and mobilize African Americans within the PCA. Hey, 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 and welcome to the very first episode of AAM's Between the Pew. This is something that the AAM team has talked about for months, and it's exciting to see it actually happening. Yes, yes, yes. So here at AAM, we have a staff of six, and we thought that it would make sense for our first episode to be an opportunity for our listeners to be introduced to us and hear our short PCA origin story before we start bringing in guests and and hearing some of their stories. My name is Janelle Chavis, and I serve as the content and communications assistant for AAM, and I'll lead our time off today. Today, I'm joined by AAM Coordinator Y Plummer. Hey, Y. Hey. Interim Associate Coordinator Charles McKnight. What's good, Charles? Yo, yo. What's going on, family? Operations Manager Kelly Brown. What's up, sis? Hey, girl. <laughs> and the African American Presbyterian Fellowship Director Alex Shipman. Hey, brother Alex. What's up, my people? Also on our team is Associate Coordinator Howard Brown, who is taking a much-needed and well-deserved sabbatical, but you all get a chance to hear from him in a future episode. Well, y'all, let's get into it. We're going to get things started off with Sister Kelly Brown. Kelly, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the PCA. Let's hear your story, fam. What's up, y'all? So, yeah, I started in the PCA... 1993 it might have been 94 the more I think about this story but basically I um was a college student at Valdosta State University there with my cousin a lot of you guys know Suzanne Bates um and we grew up and came out of a black baptist holy ghost shouting amen screaming mass choir singing tambourine shaking you know kind of holy ghost baptist church um for most of, of, you know, that was my major childhood experience um, and got to Valdosta, Georgia and just could not find a, a church to be in. And so eventually after, you know, I was following my cousin because she really is my spiritual mother in a lot of ways. So I was following her and finally her, her um, one of her coworkers said, you know, it's a white church, but I know you're looking. Why don't you just come in and visit until you can find a church that fits you better? So she started going and then I started going and I was like, what is this? Like, this is, why do you, the white people, they don't say amen. They don't, they don't say nothing. They don't, like I'm looking around and I'm saying amen and ain't nobody else saying amen. I'm like, wait. Uh, they don't clap during the song. I'm like, yo, I don't know if I could do this. This is just real interesting. And so it really was not the um, the experience of the service that got me. It was the first thing was seeing my cousin have this ministry to these well-to-do white women. I had never seen that before. Never seen somebody, um, you know, who was not a well-to-do white person have ministry, real ministry. 
into the lives of these well-to-do white women. And so that really struck me. And then the more I got involved with uh, learning the theology and doctrine of the Presbyterian Church in America, the more I thought, this sounds like the Baptist churches I've been in. Like I hear a lot of the same things. Yes, infant baptism wasn't on there, a couple other things, but the main things that mattered were, were the same. And so I joined that church um, and, and uh, got completely involved and invested in that church. And then uh, met Howard, married Howard. We started ministry, um, joined Redemption Fellowship in, in its, um, I think, second year in, in uh, what is it? Fayetteville, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And um, was on staff there. He was on staff there, had a great time being at the, you know, the first African-American led middle-class black church um, in the denomination. Then left there, went to Baltimore, ended up here in Charlotte, where we are now. Queen City. Um, Queen City. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have been here. I think it's been 18 years, my Lord. Wow. Yep. Yep. Wow. Planet Christ Central Church, 18, 18 years, bro. And, uh, you know, it's different when you're leading a church the way you, you do when you're the only African-American in the Presbytery initially, and then trying to do a multi-ethnic work. It was rough. You know, I think um, I skate this line between an affection and an affinity for the theology, the doctrine, the uh, deep hold of inerrancy of scripture and the importance of scripture and grace and all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, even the fellowship that I found over the years with all the black leaders and their wives here in the denomination, you know, and that's kind of balanced with the ugly stuff, you know, the people looking at me at GA, like, who are you <laughs> and how'd you get here? You know, um, that feeling where you, you you never quite feel like you're really accepted mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to figure your way, especially as a black woman who has uh, a lot to say and has been here long enough and earned the right to say it. And they sort of look at me like, why is she talking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's difficult, but I'm still here by the grace of God. Yeah. Amen. Uh, so yeah, Amen. that's me. Well, Kelly, you, you mentioned uh, one, some of the struggles of just being a Black woman in, in the PCA, but what, what can you tell us about some other struggles that you, you feel like you've been experiencing while, while worshiping in these spaces? Mm, worshiping is one of the struggles. <laughs> <laughs> tell it. I mean, I just think we as a people culturally, when you come from a Black church experience, our expression of Sunday morning worship it's vastly different than a lot of, of, you know, particularly folks who've been in the PCA for a while. Um, and so I, I remember when we planted the church, we had about 30 folks and, you know, I, I was moved by the spirit. I would cry and, mm. and holler out and raise my hands and, and, and people would come up to me and say, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to talk? <laughs> and you're like, why aren't you doing this? <laughs> exactly. That's what I would say. I would say, I'm okay. Are you okay? Did you hear that message? Like, did you hear the good news, preach? How can you be silent? 
So that is definitely been, and I'm a worshiper, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's been a struggle is trying to find a way to be okay with how white folks struggle along with maybe helping push them and give them an opportunity to find a better expression of worship than, mm-hmm. than the dreaded and, and really shameful moniker of frozen chosen that the PCA has come hot to embrace over the years. Mm. Mm. That's mm. so real. Mm. And I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that you, you are willing to be your authentic self in these spaces instead of, you know, trying to, to, to fit in, if you will. Yeah. I you tried. Know. The Holy mm-hmm. Ghost won't let me. Yeah. <laughs> do what you gotta do. I know that's right. I know that's right. <laughs> well, thank well, you, Kelly, for sharing sharing your short story with us. Alex, I'm ready to hear from you, brother. Tell us about your, your entry right. into the PCA and tell us a little bit about yourself too as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I could do that. Well, from a s- small town in uh southeast Georgia, uh called Swainsboro, Georgia. That's where most of my family still lives. Uh, I'm the oldest of four siblings, and I'm pretty shy. Um, grew up shy. And I love sports, love football, love college football. Mm. Uh, yeah. Went to college um, at Valdosta State uh, University. There it is. And that's you no, know, that's where I met Kelly. Yeah, the Blazers. I, I've known Kelly longer than Howard. <laughs> the what? The Blazers? Y'all the Blazers? The Blazers. I, We're the Blazers. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's, it's kind of lame. It's kind of yeah, lame. Yeah. A little bit, but that's okay. That's yeah. Right. So I, I became a Christian um, at at Valdosta State, but my conversion is really just you know was the fruit of my mother's prayers and mm-hmm. the prayers that she prayed over me and my siblings while we were younger. And, you know, I went to a historical black church, uh, but I wasn't a believer. Uh, but um, I, I believe I became a believer because of the prayers of my mother. Amen. And the prayers that she still pl- prays over me and my kids Amen. and my siblings mm-hmm. and my nieces and nephews. So, I, yeah, I became a believer through a ministry called Campus Outreach. And that was back in 1996, my freshman year. And when I, once I made a professional faith, I started going to the local PCA church. Mm-hmm. And I eventually joined that church. Didn't care for the worship, but I definitely enjoyed the preaching. Mm-hmm. And I think when I first came into the PCA, I really assimilated. And mm-hmm. and being one of the only black guys there, I felt like, well, this is what I got to do to survive. And so I went I went through a time where I, I worshiped white culture. I hated on the black church. Yeah. I went through all those yeah. wow. journey and really struggled with my identity as a black man. And I was the only black guy in every PCA church I was a part of, except for the one that I'm, that I'm leading now. Wow. And so, so yeah, I was, I got in in 96, graduated in 01, moved to Greenville, South Carolina, with a mentor and friend of mine, Toby Woodard. He wanted to me to help him plant a church and Travelers Rest. And so I moved there to be, with him and his family to be part of that church plant. And then in 2002 is when I, when I met on why plumber for the very okay. first time uh and i went I, I went to this conference out at john piper's church uh i think that the name of it was the reform theology and the african-american experience yep and so i met carl ellis for the first time and so mm. so that began my journey of moving more away from assimilation and more to want to be integrated and more to becoming more comfortable with who i am as a black man and it mm. took me meeting other black men in the pca 
to see that I can flourish yeah. and still be black. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to deny who I am culturally, you know, to be in this space. Mm-hmm. And, and so that really helped me begin a journey of where I am today. That's really living out who God has made me to be and realizing I don't have to worship white culture uh, to be here. I can em- embrace my own culture. And so um, I ended seminary in 2003. Uh, I also mm-hmm. was the first intern at Christ Sanford Church in 2003 yes, that summer. That's yes, right. The first ministry intern out with Howard and Giorgio and Kelly. That's that was a fun right. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, married Waikita at two, in 2005. Waikita? Graduated from, yep, 2005. I met her at her at her sister's wedding. I actually oh. led her brother-in-law to Christ. What? Dang, so, Alex. That's funny. Wow. Yeah, because yeah, I knew I knew her and her, me, her sister and brother. We all went to college together. We were all at campus outreach together. And so I met her at their wedding in 2002. And we got married in 2005. So so that's the game right there, Alex. You got to lead people, family to Christ. And that's how you <laughs> get just up the, in there. Hey, brother, uh-huh. it's just the way things work out. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like it. So yeah, it's funny. When, when I saw her, when I saw when I first saw her, I was like, man, she's beautiful. And I'm going to get her. I, I said, I'm going to get her email before I go because I didn't have a cell phone. And so I, I got it before I left and then we connected. And, oh, All right, and what man. I love about and, and, and what I love about Waikita is that mm. she didn't let me reform her. She didn't mm. let me make her a Presbyterian. And so mm. she challenged me on all my BS. She challenged wow. me on all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for that because she, because yes. I thought I had, I thought my wife had to look a certain way mm-hmm. in order for her to be a wife of a black TE. Mm. So I'm glad that she resisted all that crap I tried to do. Come on, man. That's a podcast right there. I'm about to say, let me write that idea down. (laughs) Bring her on later. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So uh, she was the reason why I ended up going to seminary earlier because I wanted to go to Covenant. But she was like, there was a seminary in Charlotte. Why don't you just go there? I said, yeah, you're right. And so she was the reason why I started RTS in the fall of 03. Wow. And then in 2006, we moved to, um, to Decatur, Alabama. I interned at a church at Decatur and I graduated in 08. And when I, when I graduated, I really didn't, church planning was not on my radar mm-hmm. at all. I thought about doing RUF. I didn't feel like I, I didn't feel like I had the gifts to church plant. I thought maybe I should just be a number two somewhere, but the village church plant kind of just fell into my lap and I didn't even go looking for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when I was in college, the vision that God gave me, I knew I wanted to be a pastor of a multi-ethnic church close to HBCU. And so when I got the call to plant the village church, I found out Alabama A&M was right up the road. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, I think this may be it. And so we planted in 08 and we particularized in 2011. Mm-hmm. And part of my story, and I believe this is part of God's grace, is that I never really experienced any racism. It could have mm-hmm. been because I assimilated it. Um, but I never felt, I felt like God, the people that the white folks that God brought into my life actually loved me well. Mm. The, the white men actually helped shepherd me, gave me some of the things I didn't get as a kid. And so mm. I'm very grateful for that experience um, because it, I kind of feel like I was sheltered from a lot of stuff mm. um, when, I, when I first got in. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I'm still here um, is because I didn't, I didn't learn any of those things when I first came in. It was later on in my journey in the denomination, I learned about all the racism, the, the past, mm. uh, and even the present struggles that we have with racism. Yeah. So yeah, that's just that's a little bit of my story. Hmm. Okay. So, 
Alex, you said two things. You love college football. Who's your team? Uh, University of Georgia. You oh, so you still with Georgia? Yeah, I'm not gonna leave there. I'm 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 I'm, a, I'm from Georgia. I'm not gonna stop with okay. my Bulldogs. Okay, I just needed to know. I just what needed if, to know. Now my now my son has traded is a trader. He became an Alabama fan. But because but I figured it would happen because we live in Alabama and all his friends are Alabama fans. Which which Alabama? The 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 roll t- University. Yeah, the roll tide. Roll tide. No, I don't like the roll yeah. tide. No, no. <laughs> what what about them Valdosta Blazers though? Y'all y'all ain't they, repping. They, don't, they they started winning when we left. Oh, Charles. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, I got you. <laughs> they was busted. Yes. But also, Alex, I just resonate with your story so much and feeling like, you know, you you go from hating the black church and feeling like you can't find anything good about it. And and you kind of come full circle after a few years, a lot of us anyway, where you realize that, you know, uh, the black church was good to us. And that's what we learned. Yeah. It was our beginning. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was. She planted many seeds in me, and I think what happened to me was, you know, you when you when when you become reformed, like I when I did, you become so arrogant, mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> you think you know everything. You argue with people. I argue with family, you yep, know, about yep. predestination wow. oh my and all God. that. I was just a so jerk. <laughs> I was a jerk, and unloving, and so now God did humble me. And I needed to be humbled in college. Uh, my ju- my junior year of college, I went through a very deep depression, mm. and I was very, very suicidal mm. because I, my whole my, my, my first my, my journey to Christianity was very legalistic. I just performed, and I was involved with this campus ministry where I was a black leader, and everybody loved me, and I was mm. popular, and so I, I ate all that stuff up. But then I burned out. But it was Toby Wildert who met with me week after week. And he would give me Tim Keller sermons to listen to. And mm. once one time we met, I said, man, I already know the gospel. Can you tell me something else to make me feel better? I don't, I'm already a Christian. And so I didn't understand that the gospel was for believers. I live my life as if once Christ got me in, it was my good works that kept me in. Mm. And so I had to, I, for the first two years of my walk, I did not live by grace. It was just legalism. And mm. so God humbled me to the dust. And mm. in that in that humbling experience, I finally saw him as father and I finally found grace in my brokenness. Mm. And it, he finally broke me of my pride. And it was so bad. I told one of my leaders, I don't really feel the devil tempting me. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's tempting me at all. But what right. I didn't realize back then is that he already had me because of my pride. Yeah. 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 He didn't need yeah. to tempt me. Yeah. My self-righteousness mm. had, was already he already had me. Yeah. And so when God, I'm glad God broke me in college and I'm not being broken now because yeah. the Alex I was becoming was going to be very, very bad for people because I used people to make me look good. Mm-hmm. And I used all the black guys I led to make me look good. I brought them mm. with me to large groups so people can say, look at Alex and his disciples. And then mm. I didn't care about them. It was all for my reputation. And I'm glad, I'm grateful that God broke me of that in college and not later on when I was in ministry and I had a family. So I'm, I'm always going to be grateful for that season of brokenness now mm-hmm. because it helped yeah. make me a better pastor. Yeah. Amen. Good word right there. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate mm-hmm. you, man. Janelle, you, my sister. tell us about your story. Okay. 
Well, um, so I'm Janelle once again, and I actually grew up in Pearl, Mississippi, which is part of the Jackson, Mississippi metro area, and it's located right outside the capital city. Uh, I have four siblings, and we grew up in a Christian household with a, a mom and a, a dad who have been married for almost 37 years now. And I came to Christ early in life, largely in part due to that Christian upbringing. Um, my dad was and still is in ministry. Uh, my my upbringing was actually pretty strict. I, I I couldn't wear pants until like the the sixth grade. I did, however. Wow. I did, however, get to wear culottes. <laughs> Do y'all know what culottes are? <laughs> they call them capris now, right? Well, if you don't know what culottes are, they're basically like shorts that extend well past your knee, like almost to your ankles. <laughs> and they're very loose. Like yep, if yep. you looked at them, you would think that you're wearing just a skirt, like a long skirt. Or uh, some high waters. But there some is really high water material. Right, right, right. There's material <laughs> that separates one leg from the other. So that's why. <laughs> I remember cool shorts, <laughs> but they're um they're they're coming back in style now. Actually, so if you were to did they used to call out, those they used to call those um gauchos. They kind of the gauchos. But see, the thing about yeah. gauchos is gauchos still had like a little bit of form fittedness to it. Okay, I got you. You were just out here fake skirting. Come on now, exactly. Because you have to be modest. The way that I grew up, you just yeah, have to be modest. And so, listen, if you go really old school, they were called pedal pushers. Ooh, I heard of that. That sounds old school, don't it? Though you couldn't do the squirts or nothing like that. Like, no. did they have culotte squirts? Like, no, okay. we I, couldn't do I couldn't do it. I mean, because still, yeah, I couldn't do it. So you know, like I said, they're coming back in style now. So if you were to Google culottes don't think that I was wearing that kind because they have like made them cute nowadays. I was okay. wearing like the hideous, super <laughs> Christian-y version. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, I couldn't wear pants, had to wear culottes. Uh, we, we didn't have a TV in our house for a while, I remember mm. growing up. Uh, and when we did get a TV, we could only watch it on certain days of the week and it was highly restricted viewing. Um, and I couldn't date or go to school dances or just you know do any of those type mm. of things that most kids enjoy doing growing up I remember this boy who liked me actually gave me a cd that he when people were listening to cds uh that he had burned he had made some songs and burned and my dad made me throw it away because he thought that it would just be inappropriate for me to wow so yeah, that's the kind of guy my guy, my dad was growing up. But he's he's changed so much over the years, and if in fact, and, and he loosened up each year that we were growing up. So if you were to meet him today, you would you wouldn't believe that he was the same guy who had me wearing culottes. But uh, <laughs> anyways, that gives you a little insight <laughs> on some of my child um, uh, formative years. So I I grew up in the church, of course. Uh, I was part of the Church of Christ Holiness USA denomination. And if you're not familiar with Kachusa, like we called it, uh, it it's, it's um, roots are similar to Church of God, God in Christ, Kojic. And Charles Price Jones, who was basically like Kachusa's founder, if you will, was a missionary Baptist preacher, actually. But he adopted this holiness stance that uh, basically is a theology in believing that you could achieve Christian perfection. So hmm. uh, in that church, uh, women were expected to do a lot of things like wearing skirts and dresses uh, older women usually had to wear hats you had to have on your pantyhose 
you know, all this, uh, the, the works. <laughs> so this was the church that I grew up in. It was the church that I attended regularly. It was the church that I was baptized in. My dad uh, was an elder in that church. He still is to this day, actually. So, uh, but after leaving to go off to college, I never really established a church home in my college town. I went to college in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the University of Southern Mississippi to the top. No one probably can relate, but, uh, but it's about an hour and a half south of Pearl where I grew up. And I attended church sporadically, you know, in college. I never committed. I think I only really went to church anyways because I knew my parents would be asking me about it. Like, did you go to church today? You know, so I think that was the only reason why I went. And, and um, you know, like I was saying, my dad was pretty strict. So when I went to college, I had all this freedom and I took advantage of it for sure. I made a lot of poor choices. And this podcast podcast episode is not nearly long enough to cover the, <laughs> that, to cover my story in that kind of detail. So I'll leave that at that for, for now. But um, towards the end of my, my college career, though, I began to feel more of the Holy Spirit's tug on my life and on my heart. And I was moved to get back into to church regularly. And at this point, I had finished my undergraduate degree and I was working on my master's and I made the decision to do a fellowship in Jackson, Mississippi, which took me back to Jackson, moved back home with my parents while I was in grad school or the, the latter part of my grad school year career. And I started going to the church that I grew up again yeah, and and so um, I, you know, going back to that church after finishing undergrad and in grad school, I just felt like that's not where I wanted to be anymore. Nor was it where I felt like the Lord was calling me to be at. So, uh, one of my really good friends, she's she's really like a sister to me. Uh, we grew up together, and interestingly enough, we grew up in in Kachusa. We grew up in the same denomination. Uh, she ended up leaving Kachusa before I did, but she invited me to a church that she was attending. And that church was Redeemer Church, PCA in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, this was in like 2011, 2012, when I first started attending. And it's funny, uh, when I first started going to the church, I, I didn't even know it was a Presbyterian church, truly. I, I, I just, I liked it there. I felt comfortable there. I enjoyed the preaching there. It was a multi-ethnic church led by a Black pastor, which, um, you know, I was familiar with being in, in, in majority white spaces anyways, just from first grade through 12th grade. I was, my family was essentially like the only black family in, in our school. So, um, so it wasn't much of a transition getting used to the white side of Redeemer. Wow. And then I felt comfortable being around the, with the black people just from my experience in college and, and stuff. So um, felt really comfortable at Redeemer, quickly got involved in the church, joined a growth group volunteered with the children's ministry, hosted young adult events at my house, um, the works. So in the beginning of 2014, a guy named Cyril Chavis moved to Jackson, Mississippi. He, he moved from Virginia Beach, Virginia to attend Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh -oh. And he also started going to Redeemer Church. Uh oh. So <laughs> story gets good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I met Cyril through church. And we, we, uh, we have, we had a weird dating story, which is also probably another podcast episode in itself. So, but anyways, we started dating, got married in 2016. Uh, two years later, he graduated from RTS 
and got ordained as a teaching elder in the PCA. So now we're like in there, in there as it concerns the PCA. Uh, now we, we live in Washington, D.C. So Cyril can do ministry with Reformed University Fellowship or, or RUF. Um, if listeners don't know, it's just the college ministry of the PCA. So we do RUF on the campus of Howard University. We have two children, one on the way. And we attend a PCA church here in DC, which is also a multi-ethnic church led by a black pastor. And, you know, I, I say, I just realized this recently, like in the last year or so, but um, one cool thing about my entrance into the PCA is that while only about 1% of pastors in the PCA are black, I have never been a member of a PCA church that, that didn't have a black pastor. So All I have right been now. a member. I know it's nice. kind of cool. I've nice. sat under three cool. black pastors yes. now, and they've and you know they've all been black PCA pastors, which I think look is at really God. Mm-hmm. Look at yeah. God. There's look hope, at y'all. There's right. hope. That's it. <laughs> I'm gonna keep that going if I can help it. That's I'm gonna keep I know, it going. That's <laughs> uh, so, anyways, that's a little bit about me and uh, my my PCA origin story. Well, sis, man, I appreciate hearing that. I've heard bits and pieces here and there, but it's always great to hear the full story, mm-hmm. at least part of the full story. Uh, you were talking about, the, you know, God's providence. He's allowed you to be up under the ministry of, of, of a black pastor since you've been in the PCA. I um, mean, how do you think that's kind of shaped uh, your experience in the PCA mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. had, I would call it a privilege to be able to, to be up under black pastors your entire time in the PCA? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it's you know, I. It's there are things now that I expect a pastor to address from the pulpit mm, that like will what? probably like what you like, talking too vague. What you talking about? <laughs> well, because because details. I've, I've sat under black leadership now. Like for, if we hey look social justice issues. Yes, sir. Because I've sat under black leadership and I've had pastors who've who've addressed mm-hmm. social justice issues from the pulpit. Any other church that I go to, I'm going to believe and think as I should, I think in my opinion, mm-hmm. that pastors should be addressing social justice issues from the pulpit. Yeah. And um, I think it's even increased, especially maybe just moving out of Mississippi into DC and, you know, Mississippi is very, I'm going to just say for now, Mississippi is very Mississippi. It's Bible belt. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, yep. mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, yeah. So, but coming up into DC, I don't know if it's because we're just in this political capital and, there's just um, more open mindedness maybe in some ways, but I've really been hearing things from the pulpit that has been super encouraging to me. And I don't know, I, I have to just say, I don't know if I would be hearing those same things if I was sitting under white leadership. And, and that's just, that's just how it is. I mean, we have, mm-hmm. we had a whole prayer time for Brianna Taylor during one of our services yeah. once. Uh, recently and we've had church members here in dc who have rallied together and gone to protests and and it's all encouraged by our leadership you know and and so that's that's something that i think is invaluable and i would like i would hope that i would receive under um other types of leadership in the pca but you know i don't know but i expect it from from my my brothers and and so anyway Mm. that's that's kind of been that's encouraging you know Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, it is. That is super encouraging. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, 
part of my story, and we'll get there in a little bit, is also related to the Lord just kind of privileging me to be up under some good, some good black leadership for the the pretty much the whole time I've been in this denomination. So that really resonated with me, uh, mm. Janelle, when you share that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, before we get to me, though, brother, brother Bishop. Uh, Reverend Wild Plumber, uh, the Godfather, the, the Godfather Don. himself, the Don, the Don, the Don Movement Leader, Wild Plumber. Tell, give us the story, brother. Yeah, well, I guess I've been around the the, the longest, um, and my whole origin story really kind of begins uh, uh, in, in growing up. Uh, growing, I grew up in New York City. I'm the oldest of uh, five and um, grew up in Harlem, went to church every Sunday, hated every Sunday, uh, two hour services. And I well, could hardly, hardly wait for the time when the preacher started getting loud. I said, oh, it's almost <laughs> over. Skirming <laughs> in my seat. Every Sunday, and I would try to get out of going to church, but um, uh, often couldn't, couldn't because then my mother would, uh, we would go to Sunday school so that we could avoid having to go to church. Sunday school was much shorter. So um, so when I turned 17, I went to college. I went to Howard University, Janelle. And, yeah. uh, hmm. and I swore off two things. I swore off uh, church and I swore off collard greens. Hated collard greens. My mother made me eat them, which I don't know what that makes. Come me. on, why? Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. I've heard that before. And, uh, I said, I'm never, I'm never going to church again. Mm. Well, I kind of kept, I, I kept one of the promises anyway. Well, fast forward 17 years, I'm 34 years old. Uh, I have been married and, and, and divorced. I've worked in corporate. I was an engineer, moved to Northern Virginia, worked for IBM. I was kind of depressed. Mm. And, um, you know, we, my, my, I had been separated, the divorce would just came through and my boss must have seen how um, how discouraged I was. And he said, would you like to study the Bible? Why? And I said, are you kidding me? I didn't think anybody with any intelligence studied the Bible. Ooh, my Lord. Uh, but, uh, but God has a way of getting his way. And eventually I, I became persuaded. Mm. I can remember the year. I can remember that it was in September. Hmm. And I said, okay, we can have a Bible study as long as I can say that Jesus is not the only way. I was going to resist having Jesus be the only way. He said, well, we can, we can, we'll do the Bible study, but I'm not going to agree to that. So every week we studied out of John. <laughs> I don't remember a thing, but he would pray every week. And I was so self-conscious. It was in this office. I'd look under the door, see anybody looking, seeing this pray. This is weird. <laughs> So this went on week after week after week. And I said, every week, Jesus is not the only way. And he said, okay. And he kept praying. But I could feel my resistance moving. And two wow. years later, in November of that same year, I said, oh, Jesus is, is the only way. <laughs> okay, and he fine. was shocked as I was. And I said, I guess that makes me a Christian. What year was uh, that? Why? That was 1981. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I'm giving away my age. So 1981. I'm All 34 right. years old. And I said, okay, I know that, okay, I'm a Christian. I know I'm supposed to go to church. So I don't know. I hadn't been to church since I was 17. 
Mm. So I said, where should I go to church? He said, you need to go to a good reformed church. I had no idea what he meant what, what, by saying a reformed church. So there was one in Reston, Virginia. So I went to Reston Presbyterian Church. That's first Sunday in November, 1981. And I walked in there and I had never been to anything like they were meeting in a school on these little rises. I had never seen somebody preach talking to you all these white people in there, it was just me. And, and I said, I get, okay, God, I guess this is where I'm supposed to be. Hmm. And my intention was to start a new life. I was divorced and I was gonna start a brand new life with, I was gonna meet a brand new Christian. Then all the, all the white women in the church were ready to introduce me to their black friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. And so I was getting ready for them to introduce me when uh, the pastor, <laughs> counsel me and said, well, why, uh, what, what, what's your, what, what's your ex-wife doing? I said, I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't care. <laughs> so, well, if she's not remarried, you know, you need to really consider reconciling with her. And I said, my whole testimony tends to be one of resisting, not wanting to do what God wants me to do. Mm-hmm. And you know how the story ends, of course, in that, okay, end I became up, convinced the- that I needed to reconcile with her, called her up, told her I was a Christian. Would you like to consider reconciling? She said, yes. She came to Reston Presbyterian with me. Now we're the only two black folks <laughs> sitting in there, but the church loved on us in a way that I had never been loved in my life. Uh, we got remarried mm-hmm. May of 19, uh, May, May 23rd, 1982. I hope, I hope I got the it right and surely doesn't hear this um, podcast. Oh Lord! And then we were, I, I, uh, we, we were reconciled there. We got remarried there, and the church loved on us. And we we developed friends there that I didn't um, n- never thought I have to this day. And I was wondering why God, God had called me to this until uh, uh, one day I met uh, a. a I guess we're about the same age about that time. In 1984, I met a guy named Carl Ellis Mm. and he had just moved to Baltimore. And I said, there's somebody else here. I saw a picture of him, (laughs) called him up and said, can we get together? We got together and talked all night about African-Americans and a reform movement in the African-American community. Wow! And I will never forget that conversation. And that that has been my heart. And I knew God had called me to ministry. And so about nine years later after that, I eventually, uh, we got permission from the Lord and Shirley to, to relocate, <laughs> move to Baltimore and go to seminary. Went to seminary at Chesapeake, finished up there, became the pastor of New Song Community Church. Me and Steve Smallman pastored there and, until I felt that God had called me to do something else. In 2000, we left that ministry and became the African-American uh, ministry coordinator, and I never forgot the goal of, of facilitating an indigenous reform movement in the African-American community. And most of my work initially was that of recruiting African-American pastors. That's where I met uh, Alex at a conference. I'd go to seminaries like Covenant and RTS, uh, just meeting pastors, had no idea where God was going with this movement, but then um, God began to staff us up in 2018 and then in 2020 brought on Janelle and 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 Howard and and Kelly and mm. Alex was already with us and grew to stuff. So I'm just I wait on the Lord. He moves, he takes a step and I look see where he's going. Then I follow follow wherever he's going. So it's basically Amen. my story. <laughs> Amen. 
Good so, so while you've been in for a while, brother, and so what, when you look back over your time here, what are some of the things that you are most grateful for? I'm grateful that I'm still alive. I'm, still, I'm grateful that, there's, <laughs> that, that God moves in spite of us, that in spite of what is going on, even in our culture, God is increasing our presence here. He is on the move here. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just got finished writing a, a writing a newsletter uh, to, to to my supporters, and I was just marveling at the fact, in spite of COVID, in spite of a lot of pushback within our culture, a lot of African Americans leaving leaving uh, evangelical spaces, that God is actually increasing the amount of number of African Americans coming into this denomination. So mm-hmm. I'm grateful over that. I'd be mm-hmm. I'm grateful by the fact that. My wife is still married to me after 52 years. My Lord. Even my with Lord. intuition. Hey. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? He will God do good. it. God is good. He will do it. Yes, he did. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. So, Won't that's, he so good. that's a good well, word. Well, Charles, uh, you introduced me. Let, let, let's hear your story. Amen. Yeah. Uh, well, look, Charles Alexander McKnight III, give you the whole government name okay, for the people. Man. And uh, <laughs> born born in Durham, North Carolina, Bull City, for anybody that knows. Um, well, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, ended up, was a college athlete, uh, ended up at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, for a little while. Ended up transferring to a little school here in North Carolina, UNCG Greensboro. UNC Greensboro is when I met my wife, Charlotte. She was my freshman orientation leader. Uh, when I came through, when I came through. So, you know, I was coming through, you know, looking all smooth. So, you know, uh, had, to, had to put the work in on that. But no, yes. not, we are... Um, we are in our 14th year of marriage. Okay. Uh, praise Amen. the Lord. Praise, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, we got four Amen. kids. Lord help us. Amen. Um, four kids, ages uh, five to 13. Um, I have a 13-year-old daughter now, teenager. So crazy. Lord help me. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, but no, wonderful children. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they are. Wonderful wife. Um, yes, just super she is. blessed. Mm-hmm. super blessed with that i'm a black church boy so you know uh man if you grew up in the baptist church national baptist church uh community baptist church with the distinguished reverend dr percy r chase uh, was my pastor growing oh, up and yeah. um walked the aisle at age seven and dressed wow. up in white one sunday and i went down in the water and um Wait and, in the and, water. and the water was cold the water was cold <laughs> and, uh, nah i mean uh, so yeah just grew up in the church uh we ended up moving relocating and we actually ended up at an ame zion church uh spalding ame zion with mm. reverend dr paul murphy yes sir. and um uh, that was uh, super impactful for me. He was a great mentor to me. Um, you know, I won't really living like I should have during that season, my teenage years. And uh, but he was very intentional about always reaching out to me, connecting with me. Uh, and my dad actually mm-hmm. became a pastor during that time. He sensed the call to ministry. So my, mm-hmm. I am kind of a PK. So my dad is a pastor, um, uh, Amy Zion pastor. Okay. Of New Zion AME Zion Church in Adore, North Carolina. And so um shout out to the to the family there. And hey. uh, my mother is a deacon in that church. Okay. Uh, yes. She is a, a deaconess in the uh, uh AME Zion church, and my father's a pastor. And then 
once I ended up in Greensboro, um, got connected with the Church of God in Christ, Cogent <laughs> Church. Yes, I was in there, in it to yes, win it. Sir. Evangel Fellowship, Kojic Church with the late Apostle Dr. Otis Lockett Sr. And he was an amazing man of God. I mm. mean, his brother was amazing mm. and um, mentored uh, me. His son and I were actually the same age. So we were part of starting a campus ministry together. That's what the Lord used to really scoop me up and get me back on the straight line. And, you know, a lot of it, I think as a naturally for me in many ways, especially as an athlete, I'm always looking to, you know, I'm trying to win. Like mm. I'm just, I'm a competitor. So like Christianity is, I had it in my mind as a game and I'm going to win. I'm going to beat everybody. And, uh, and it worked for a little while till it don't work. Right. Mm. That legalism, boy, mm. it'll, it'll have you up till it drops you down. And um, that thing dropped me when I was start. I wasn't able to live up to my own kind of legalistic standards. Um, I was just like, man, I don't even want to do this anymore. Mm. So like, I kind of just dropped out. I'm like, I'll pick mm. up Christianity at another time if this is what it's all about. And um, it was during mm. that time, a lot of stuff was going on in my life. Um, I, I think a, a, a recurring thing that's already come up, but just dealing with depression, I didn't know it was that at the time. I didn't have those categories, but looking mm -hmm. back on it and processing with my current therapist, I know that's what it was. And mm -hmm. um, just going through a lot of things, uh, got married uh, my senior year and got diagnosed with uh, cancer a week mm -hmm. after I got married. And I had just started going back to church and I'm like, Lord, come on now, you know, I'm trying to do right. This is mm -hmm. how you going to hit me. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of questions. I was upset. I was angry with the Lord. And, um, you know, I just wasn't in a context, a situation with folks that were re ready or willing to deal with those particular questions. So mm, mm. I'm going through, started going through chemo. I remember I was about to start going through chemo and um, one of my homeboys, um, best friend from high school, a strong believer, uh, um, dear brother to me now as well. But he hit me with a CD of a uh, burned copy of... Um, some sermon by John Piper, I think it was like suffering in the sovereignty of God. And I remember sitting in the chemo room, just listening to that. And then there was some article about don't waste your cancer. I'm like, man, I don't know what wow. this is, but this wow. is right on point. This is, I mean, it's a, it, it is an on time word for me. And um, yeah, the Lord used that during that time uh, in, a, in a powerful way to remind me of what I grew up knowing anyway, what my grandma knew, right? Like God is big like think big and is bigger than big right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. he is so big and so good that everything that you're going through is encompassed in his plan for your life and mm. um it was just during that season you know piper and a couple of other guys were able to give it to me at the time that i needed it and so um ended up graduating and um becoming a school teacher uh back in my hometown and uh, married. We had a child at that time, one child, our oldest child, and kind of through a variety of circumstances, ended up at this PCA church. And, uh, you know, we walked in. When we walked in, diversity walked in, yeah. uh, racial diversity, at least. <laughs> and uh, they was like, whoa! Yo, yo, let me tell two. you, yo, these white folks were excited, boy. Like they loved on us. They were all up on us, boy. And these yeah. were like, oh, old white people like we, wow we, you know what i'm saying like we call them the blue-haired ladies right no, like just stop. just loved on us <laughs> yeah. i mean and a lot of you know they say some ignorant stuff but they were trying you know and mm -hmm, uh, they were mm -hmm. sweet folks and but there was also this young crop of younger 
white folks that were coming to the church as well. And there was this young white guy there, new pastor, Drew Martin, who fast forward several years later, we ended up planning a church together where, where I now pastor at West Charlotte Church. But he, he started mentoring me and uh, helped me discern a call to ministry. And that's when the crisis happens. Like, I, I mean, I can rock with these folks for a while just being in the pew. But like, I don't know if the Lord called me to be, you know, pastoring or preaching to these white folks. These white folks even want me to pastor and preach mm -hmm. to them. I'm like, I need to know that there's some other black folks that haven't done this before. Because you know how it is. You at your church, you think you're the only black person in the denomination. Oh, yeah. So yep. uh, they hit me up. They connected me with the Godfather, with the Don Y Plumber. I hit him up and he was like, no. There are others. There are others. And uh, <laughs> he linked me up with uh, Amari Hill, but he and he hooked me up with, with Howard and Kelly Brown. And I tell y'all, that changed the trajectory of everything. Mm. And I think that's the one key thing. If I, if I could just highlight one thing from my story that I just want to encourage people with, especially if they're thinking about trying to get into this nomination, leadership in this nomination, do whatever you can to get up under some black folk in this denomination oh, for man. you to just soak it up, be able to process, be free for them to check you when you, you trying to, you know, like even what you share, Alex, you needed some folks in your life at that time to be like, brother, like, yo, that's not you. You don't have to do that. You can yeah. be you. Uh, um, and so, uh, man, I, I tell people all the time that that is the thing, Howard and Kelly, and I say Howard and Kelly together, not just, you know, the people be trying to put the husband and the wife together to be nice, but <laughs> Kelly mentored me, still mentors me as much as anything. I got stories. She didn't set me down, told me about myself and um, and so, yeah, I, 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 that gave me a perspective. I was going to RTS Charlotte as well at the time um, and uh, got through all of that. And um, 2016, uh, started the process of thinking about this church plant. And we had our first worship service in 2017, particularized in 2019. And so today I am co-pastor of uh, uh, West Charlotte Church, an intercultural church in the urban West Charlotte community. Mm. Yeah. That's where I'm at. And uh, the newest member to the squad, the, the AAM team. You know, I'm just a sub right now. I'm on a 10-day contract. No, you know. stop. No. Boy, stop. You in here now. I'm just waiting yeah, when the star player comes back. Yeah, you know, you know, the star, the star player, you know, he he needed an extended vacation a little oh, bit. Oh, come and, on, make, man. You need to make sure so, you get your signing bonus, Charles. That's your right. Oh, I got that. And I already, I don't put the check. I already didn't cash the check. Now, y'all know I'm, I'm, I'm out here for the free free right now. I'm, I'm kind of kind of for the free free. But nah, I love it. I love it, y'all. I love yeah. it. And I can tell you, I mean, hopefully it comes through and just even our conversation today. But we're really a family. And I mm -hmm. think that's just the thing. Like we all have been able to find spaces where we mm -hmm. can just be ourselves mm -hmm. with our people, with our mm -hmm. folk in this denomination, in this tradition. And I know for me, at least, that is what's given me the fuel and the ability to continue to hang in there and to move forward mm -hmm. and, and to actually have fruitful ministry. Mm -hmm. Like to actually see the Lord yeah. use me. Amen. lives of a bunch of folk that you couldn't have told me before I got into this, I was going to be able to be up in some of that mess and be able to walk them and shepherd them through some mm. of these things. And yeah. 
just been beautiful mm-hmm. to see. And um, I'm excited about the opportunity that we have, not just as AAM, but um, even more specifically, this podcast. If this thing <laughs> keeps going, yes. it's going uh, to bless the people out here. So shout yeah. out to Janelle if we don't yes. get a chance. Janelle on the on the mic and putting all this stuff together, keeping Man, us in place. Stop so, it, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about this. And so, yes, yeah, sis, I'm a, um, I don't know if there's any follow-up questions or anything like that, but I know I'm going to throw yeah. it back to you. Well, you know, Charles, I did, as you were talking and, and uh, I, one thing, one question that kept popping in my head was, I wonder what was the hardest thing to get used to. I know you mentioned just white women and men in the PCA who just say some crazy stuff sometimes or don't mean anything by it even just just uh, you know just uneducated in, in those areas what are some what's something else what's another an, another sh- hard thing to kind of get used to as you transition into the PCA yeah I mean again in some ways like Alex like I was kind of sheltered in a sense because I was only at that PCA church for like 18 months and then I was at Christ Central with Howard and Kelly for like seven years, eight years. So that was kind of just a blip. And even then they were they were making mistakes because they were actually trying, like they were putting themselves out there, right? They were trying to see me and trying to engage me mm-hmm. and my entire family. So I'm super grateful for that. Um, but, you know, I think to be honest with you, what, what has been the hardest thing is seeing people that are also other pastors like me in my mm-hmm. denomination saying crazy stuff like yo Mm -hmm. it's one thing if you got folks in the pews but it's another thing where you've taken the same vows i have yeah brother you done been to seminary you got all the theological categories right right? yeah right without excuse and so i think that continues to be the most frustrating and hurtful aspect uh, Mm. the fact that there still are some uh, not all at all i mean Mm -hmm. i got a lot of dear uh, white brothers and sisters in leadership in this denomination uh, that hold us down, tremendous allies for all the mm-hmm. things that we're trying to yeah. do. Uh, not nice. the least of which my co-pastor Drew Martin, shout him out real quick. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's they, they, some folks that they just, for whatever reason, they don't mm-hmm. have it and it seems like they don't want to get it. And that's mm-hmm. hard. And mm-hmm. um, it is, um, it interferes with our ability to really reach black and brown folks the way that we feel like the lord has called us to so that's mm-hmm. that's been the hardest thing for me yeah Jamil. yeah definitely yeah. understandably so mm-hmm. that's real yeah. that's rich thanks for sharing that charles absolutely yes. listen mm-hmm. this is this has been this has been really great um it's all so different stories that each of us bring that brought us to these these spaces and there's yeah. no denying that uh, it is a challenge to serve God in these spaces. But mm-hmm. I have to say that I am very grateful for uh, this team. You know, I'm grateful for you guys. I'm grateful for the spaces that AAM has already created and that we're in the in the works, things that we are looking to create to make it more of a, a space for, for Black people to feel encouraged in the PCA because we need it, right? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Stay tuned. Amen. So y'all stay tuned. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. stuff works. More to come. Mm-hmm. So good, yes. good hearing come. from 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 all of you guys today. Like I said, while I let the time off today, at any point in time, there may be uh, one of my other fellow family members here leading our time off. So just be prepared to hear from different different staff people in upcoming episodes. Uh, I want to thank the listeners for mm-hmm. tuning yes. in. 
Thank you guys again for sharing your stories. Between the Pew is brought to you by African American Ministries. To follow AAM, be sure to visit our website at aampca.org and follow us on social media at aampca. See y'all next week. Bye. Oh, we'll see y'all. All right. Bye, see y'all. people.